Preservation Oaks. Join us for the season 2 premiere on September 26th, only on MicroStream Radio. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. Welcome to another episode of Preservation Oaks. In this series, we introduce you to professionals from museums, cultural, genealogical, and historical societies across the United States. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. Good day, everyone. I'd like to welcome everybody from all around the world. This is Sean Radcliffe coming to you from Salt Lake City, and this is Preservation Oaks, the internationally syndicated original talk program on MicroStream Radio, where we feature interviews with professionals from museums, cultural and heritage institutions, historical and genealogical societies across the United States. As you know, our main platform is preservationoaks.podbean.com. But we're also on almost every podcast platform as well as Odyssey and YouTube. So, wherever you listen to the program, I appreciate it very much when you like, comment, follow, or subscribe. We give our listeners a better understanding of these organizations. We let listeners know how they're supported, how each is unique to the communities they serve, what programs and events they currently have underway, and what services they offer to the public and their members. We believe this information is vital for people to know how to work with these organizations and how important it is to join, support, volunteer with, and donate to one or more of these core societies. Remember that your donations are tax-deductible. Each guest organization on Preservation Oaks brings with them a truly unique perspective around how they tell the story of their communities, how they continue to be relevant for the times in which we live, and what kinds of exhibits and volunteer opportunities they've created. This makes listening to each episode of the program interesting, fun, and diverse. If you're listening and you'd like to be a guest on the program, or if you have questions or comments about the program, spin off an email to preservationoaks at gmail.com. All right, that being said, let's get this show snapping. Our historical September events for this episode, on September 6, 1991, Leningrad, the city Leningrad, was renamed St. Petersburg by Russian legislators following the collapse of the Soviet Union. Russia's second largest city had been known as Leningrad for 67 years in honor of Vladimir Lenin, founder of the Soviet Union. On September 8, 1883, the Northern Pacific Railroad across the United States was completed. 
On September 11, 2001, the worst terrorist attack in U.S. history occurred as four large passenger jets were hijacked, then crashed, killing nearly 3,000 persons. Happy birthday on September 15th to British mystery author Agatha Christie, who lived from 1890 to 1976. She was born in Torquay, England. She wrote nearly 100 books, including mysteries, dramas, poetry, and nonfiction. On September 16th, 1620, the Mayflower ship departed from England, bound for America with 102 passengers and a small crew. The ship weathered dangerous Atlantic storms and reached Provincetown, Massachusetts on November 21st. The Pilgrims disembarked at Plymouth on December 26th. All right, here's a couple of jokes. Said the genealogist, I'm not stuck, I'm ancestrally challenged. You know you're a genealogist if you secretly celebrate an ancestor's birthday. Let's drink some tea. I love Twiney's tea. That's good. <clears throat> now you can email us anytime at preservationoaks at gmail.com. Preservation Oaks is available for listeners on nearly all podcast platforms, Facebook, Odyssey, and YouTube. For your information, we've completed Season 1 of Preservation Oaks. The time has flown by. The next episode is the first episode of Season 2, and will include a look back at Season 1. I can't wait to get into Season 2. Wait till you see the guests and book shorts authors we have in store for Season 2. You're gonna love it. For this final episode of Season 1, we greet Patty Henricks and Dolores Tibbon directors of the Iowa County Historical Society located in Marengo, Iowa. If you're a resident in the local area, this episode will help you understand what the society has to offer, how you can participate and take advantage of the worthwhile events the society sponsors, and how to best support them by volunteering and donating. Here's a brief biography of our guests. Dolores Tibbon was raised on a farm in Lynn County, Iowa, near Cedar Rapids. Her husband, John Tibbon, was raised on a farm near Victor in Iowa County. Dolores and John owned and operated a fixed base operation at the Cedar Rapids Airport for 25 years. In retirement, Dolores and John moved to Victor, Iowa. John's parents, Art and Bertha Tibbon, were instrumental in starting the Iowa County Historical Society. They were great historians. Now Dolores and John are keeping with the tradition. They've been members of the Iowa County Historical Society for 45 years and have served as officers and directors. Dolores was also the editor of the Society's Pioneer Heritage Newsletter for 17 years and currently serves as a director. Patty Henricks was raised on a farm in Iowa County, which was next to the farmstead of Art and Bertha Tibbon. As a child, Patty was introduced to history by Art and Bertha, which began her lifelong interest. Patty attended HLV schools and then went on to Mount Mercy College in Cedar Rapids, graduating with a nursing degree. Patty worked for 43 years at Grinnell Regional Medical Center and was the director of public health prior to her retirement. Patty's husband, Dwayne Henricks, has been involved with the Historical Society for many years and asked Patty to help with planning programs for the Historical Society. Patty currently serves on the Iowa County Historical Society Board of Directors. The Board of Directors for the Society are also volunteers who maintain and staff the museum grounds. Patty and husband, Dwayne, donate many volunteer hours to the Iowa County Historical Society in retirement and enjoy it very much. Welcome to the program, Patty and Dolores. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Sean. What's the history of Iowa County? 
The county was formed on February 17, 1843. It was named for the Iowa Native Indian tribe that settled in Iowa County and for the Iowa River, which flows through the county. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, the county has a total of 587 miles. There are two major highways that go through our county, which is really unique, Interstate 80 and U.S. Highway 6, which both travel from New York to California. Marengo is the county seat and has served since August 1845. The population was approximately 2,500 in 2020 census. Marengo was named for the plains of Marengo in Italy, where Napoleon Bonaparte won a victory over the Austrians in 1800. Oh. The first courthouse was a log cabin built in 1847. The log cabin was rented by the county until 1850 when a second courthouse was completed, and in 1861, a third courthouse. The current courthouse was built in 1892 after the county had outgrown the previous one. The population in Iowa County is close to 17,000. It's not a very populated county. <laughs> in Marengo, the public library is the Carnegie Library, okay. and it was constructed in 1904 and 1905. Wow. Like more than 100 years ago, huh? Yeah. I bet it's beautiful. Yes. Also, we wanted to talk a little bit about Iowa County is home to the Amana colonies, and that's probably one of the most famous parts of our county, I would say. And it's a group of settlements of Germans, and it's comprised of seven villages. And the people were calling themselves the Ebenezer Society of then Community of True Inspiration. They first settled in New York State near Buffalo and what is now West Seneca. However, they wanted to live out their beliefs and more isolated surroundings, and Iowa was very isolated at that time. So they moved west to Iowa County in 1855, and they were living a communal life until the mid-1930s. Today, Amana is a major tourist attraction and we have lots of people visiting from all over the United States to those seven villages. Are they like the Amish? They are no longer communal, but they have a lot of heritage that they've preserved in their restaurants and food and shops. And they have woodworking shops. So do they use uh, like horse and buggy and only horses for farming and that kind of thing? No, okay. they're very modern now. Okay. When you say Dolores, <laughs> yes, they're they're not anything like the Amish. They no. never have been. <laughs> no, okay. uh-uh. and the Amana colonies as a whole has been listed on the National Historic Landmark since 1965. Oh, and it's right in your county. That's great. Yes. I don't know if they have leaders of the colony or something like that, but do you have a relationship with them or maybe they have a museum or something? They do have a museum within uh, the main Amana, and we do have a display that is with the Amana refrigeration, is what it was called originally. There still is a plant there, and they make all kinds of things such as dishwashers and refrigerators, freezers. Oh, yeah. Amana, yeah. You have heard of Amana yeah. <laughs> appliances. Yes. And now it is Maytag. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wow, I didn't know and that. And Whirlpool. Came from Whirlpool. There. 
That's great. So yeah. Whirlpool, Amana, and Maytag are made there in the Amana colonies? Yes, they are. Wow, that's nice. How many people does that employ in the county? I would have to guess at that, probably a couple thousand. Yes. They come from uh, Cedar Rapids and other towns around mm -hmm. besides Iowa County. Nice. Iowa County is known also for the game of Roly Boly. It's a traditional yard game. It was first brought to the area by Belgium immigrants in the late 19th and 20th centuries. Victor, in particular, the town of Victor, where Patty and I both live, has many Belgium residents. But Roly Boly is very popular in Marengo, Ladora, and other neighboring towns that have Roly Boly courts. In wow. the summer, there are Roly Boly tournaments somewhere every weekend. Victor even has an indoor Roly Boly court, so it is played year-round. There are many Belgians around Victor, Iowa. <laughs> but Patty and I are both German. Right. <laughs> okay, so Roly Boly, is that a... Is that what is that sport like with a ball or something? Yes, you know what a bowling ball looks like. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like a bowling ball with each side cut off. And so it's like a big disc. Okay. And they have a sand court and they try to hit a peg. They roll this ball across the court and see who can get closest to the peg. I do not play myself, so I don't quite understand the scoring. <laughs> Right. Yes. And and it's best played with a beer in the other hand. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. Everything's of course. better with a beer in the other hand. Yes. Okay. So do the kids play that in their grade schools and high schools? No, they do not. It is mostly played by people over 50. Once in a while, they can get their grandchildren maybe brought into the game, but it is most popular with people over 50 and are the you, Belgium heritage people. Are you guys yes. rooting for that to be an Olympic sport? <laughs> I think it'd be great. They. Yeah. They do have tournaments all over the Midwest. They go to Minnesota and Wisconsin and Illinois. Yes. I'm going to look that up. It's Roly Boley. Yep. R-O-L-L-E and then B-O-L-L-E. Thank you for that. Something unique to your county, your area. Very cool. Very unique. What is the history of Iowa County Historical Society? Well, on October 24th, 1963, the first organizational meeting was held. 22 representatives from the county were in attendance. A committee was named to prepare the Articles of Incorporation and to set up a slate of candidates for the offices. On November 18, 1963, the Articles of Incorporation were adopted and officers elected, also a board of directors. The charter of the Iowa County Historical Society was granted May 28, 1964. Land was purchased in 64 for the Iowa County Historical Society in the 1200 block of Marengo Avenue. So that was the beginning of having an actual location to bring things. And after that, the Myers Log Home, which had had several homes, it was located by Homestead originally and then was moved to Marengo. I don't believe Marengo wanted to leave it at that location. So when the historical society was formed, they said, oh, a perfect place to bring, actually there's two log cabins. In 1967, that log home and the bachelor's cabin were dedicated. And a little story to go along with that, which I try to tell 
when I'm giving tours through there is Iowa in the 1800s, there weren't many people. Henry Meyer, when he came here, he built this one room log cabin dirt floor to live in. After the first year, he went to Iowa City to sell his crops and he met a woman there and really wanted to get married. He took her there to see his home and she said, oh no, I can't live in that. (laughs) I need a better house than that. So that's why it became the bachelor cabin because he built a two-story log cabin, which sits right beside the bachelor cabin now. And that's uh, where she moved in when they got married. Oh, B. That's great. So do you count your historical society as starting in 1963 or 64? Well, it was organized in 63, but the charter was granted in 64. So you count your beginning of the historical society as 1964? Yes. Okay. So that's 58 years. Yes. Yeah. That's great. That's a, that's a good long run. And I hope you're around for another 158 years. <laughs> we do too. That is. And great. then the next acquisition of, of the historical society was the Gritter Creek Brick Schoolhouse. It was built in 1872, and it's located west of North English. It was constructed from the brickyard that was located nearby by volunteer men from the community. Gritter Creek Country School was named after Gritter Creek a creek that runs through the valley to the north. Main attractions are the glass windows, the bell tower on top of the schoolhouse, and the pot-bellied stove. A cave is also located in the southwest corner of the schoolyard, and it provided protection for the students and teacher from prairie fires, tornadoes, and other weather. It is no longer there. It is the only remaining red brick one-room school building in Iowa County. And this school is located in an oak and hickory grove. The school is fully furnished with desks and playground equipment, outside with merry-go-round, teeter-totter, and a giant stride. It is open to the visitors at all times. Wow. When was the last classes in that school officially? 1961. Wow. Yes. Recently, of course, they had an outhouse, and it never was a working outhouse since we had acquired it. So that was our latest project, was to refurbish it and have it available as a regular outhouse for the area. Because it is quite a ways from any towns, and as I'm out there, I try to imagine the kids walking there in the middle of winter. It's, it would be quite the walk for them. Well, you remember the kids, well, I guess all kids, I know I went through it. We had nuclear drills in school where the teacher would say, okay, you know, there, there's an emergency and everybody would get under their desk. We were instructed in a specific way to do things. We practice that, I don't know, three or four times anyway. I wonder if those kids went inside the cave, you know, okay, kids. <laughs> There's a nuclear, you know, let's go in the cave. <laughs> yeah, they. I'm sure they did know all the kids knew where that was just in case they needed to go there. So moving on with the history of the Iowa Historical Society, in 1984, the Historical Society purchased from the Iowa County Fair the girls for each building. And I actually did show things there and was in a style show there. 
before it was part of the historical society when I was in 4-H. And that was our first official building. And in 1987, the 1880s home of A.E. Hirsch was reconstructed inside the museum. And I've been to a lot of museums, but never seen anything like that. And we'll probably talk a little bit more about it, but it was taken apart and reconstructed inside there so you can walk through it and it's really divided in half and quite original. And they donated also a lot of the furnishings, the Hirsch family, that are inside there at this current time. And they had a ribbon-cutting ceremony and open house in October of uh, 1987 for that. Also in 87, the 1961 Victor Rock Island train depot was purchased by a man, uh, Dale Noyes, a member, for $1. It was located in Victor. It has quite a history. During the 1950s, much of the freight began to travel to market by semi-trucks. So in the 1960s, passenger service on the rail ceased. With the completion of Interstate 80, a short distance south of Victor, the railroads lost business and the Victor Depot closed. The 30 by 70 foot building stood idle until the fall of 1973, when two fellows from Victor decided to put it back on the map. The men acquired the depot for $250 and hired a mover to haul the building to a new location two miles south of Victor near the Interstate 80 Highway. Finally relocated in 74 and named The Depot, the night spot included a bar and a game room and featured live music on weekends. During that time, though, there are many stories told about their fun times there. It seems it was a men's spot only, but one woman did go there and she said it became too adult for me. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Wow. And then a young fellow, he was a senior in high school. At that time, the legal age was 18. So needless to say, he did a lot of his homework there. But <laughs> too bad the operation of the depot was short-lived and the building again was abandoned. Then plans were made to relocate it once more, this time to the Pioneer Heritage Museum grounds in Marengo. Moving the depot as a complete unit proved to be too costly and next to impossible. So thus the building was dismantled piece by piece, with each piece carefully marked and hauled to its future site. Also, they received a grant to help move this, and a cement floor was poured, and one of the large hand-hewn frame timbers once again became a viable building. And, and what year was it moved? In 1987. Oh, wow. Inside the structure, the station agent's office and passenger waiting room were reestablished. In 1991, a railroad handcar was obtained and placed on the short track beside the depot. And how big is right. that place? It's 30 feet by 70 feet. So it's a fairly large building. Yeah. It has a lobby and a station master's office. And and I do, I do remember going in it when it was still being used as a small child. And my grandparents would often get on the train there and go to Chicago to visit one of their daughters. And so it does have a lot of memories. And it's wonderful that it was able to be reconstructed there. Yeah, that's great. Do you use it for storage or something today, or is it a museum? It is part of a museum, and we do have one end of it that has different kinds of equipment in it. 
and a old fire truck from Marengo as well. But the rest of it looks just like you would walk into it in the 1930s. That's neat. It is quite interesting. And then we also have inside there a model train that someone donated and it actually runs. It's quite old too. Moving on, our next acquisition was uh, in 1992, Bee's Filling Station. And it was a small filling station in Hartwick, Iowa. And my school bus used to drive by it every day. Well, when Fred Bees decided to close down, that was another building that many people just didn't want to see just torn down or fall down. So that was moved to the museum ground as well. And the story that was told to me is that they weren't able to get a permit. So they loaded it up on a wagon at night and drove it there on back roads and were able to get it intact to the museum grounds. (laughs) Where there's a well. Yeah, it's really interesting because also they donated a lot of little tools and equipment, which you can see inside as well. Wow. So back in the day, it was like a filling station where you get gas and and did it have a garage where they worked on vehicles? He didn't have a big garage. Yes, you could get gas there. But he had a lot of tools that he could work on things and would usually do that beside the station. With every historical society, you start to run out of room. And so a new two-story heritage center was built to hold exhibits because we just were not having the room to do that. And they also wanted it for offices as well. And, oh, also a restroom. We needed to add that to the site. And that was in the 1990s. Do you know, Dolores, exactly when that was? In the 1990s, right, 1992. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. And they, um, we had a family donate a 130-year-old walnut staircase from a rural farmhouse. So they incorporated that into the building. So that leads up to the second floor. They were always coming up with unique ways to preserve things and make them part of the museum. Does the second floor have exhibits on it? Yes, it does. Okay. It has exhibits as well. Is it handicap accessible? It is not handicap accessible. That is something that we've talked about, but have not yet been able to find a way to make it handicap accessible with the funds that we have available. So the rest of the buildings are really pretty handicap accessible. In our museum, Vance Clothing Store in Victor donated beautiful cabinetry. Everyone just raves about it when they walk in to see all this cabinetry that was in a clothing store and many beautiful display cases, drawers, cabinets, glass cases, and they're filled with interesting treasures from the past. And we do change displays periodically. It's an extensive quilt display, a military display from the Spanish War, Civil War to World Wars I and II, the Korean, Vietnam, and Desert Storm. 
Wow. So you got a lot of nice things for people to see. Oh, yes. And upstairs, we have the school band uniforms and often used instruments from the early 1900s. A military band from Millersburg, Iowa, and the Eckert Harp. This harp was entirely handmade by J.E. Eckert from Marengo. He was a jeweler and an optician in 1895, and he played the harp at the Stover's Opera House. Wow. There are beauty and barber tools of yesterday, clothing, toys, and things for living. This might be a good spot to mention some of our other notable people. Oh, sure. One of them was Eugene Burton Ely. He lived in Williamsburg, Iowa, and he was an American aviation pioneer. He was credited as the first man to land an airplane on his ship and the first man to take off on his ship. He lived from 1896 to 1911. Another famous person was Dr. Burns Maxwell Byram II. In 1951, he and his family moved to Marengo, where he began medical practice and was instrumental in establishing the Marengo Hospital. He was named the Family Physician of the Year in 1961 and was inducted to the Aviation Hall of Fame in 2020. He became known in Iowa as the Flying Physician. He had a passion for flying, especially for the P-51 Mustang that he named Tangerine. He flew B-24s during World War II, bearing a P-51 from Guatemala to the U.S. And I will let Patty tell about a couple other famous Yes, we did a special display this year on uh, baseball, and one of those people that was born in Iowa County was Paul Henricks. He was a son of a minister, but he really loved baseball, and he played baseball in college as he was going to college to be a minister, and then came up to the major leagues and played for several uh, major league teams, including the Yankees. So uh, that was really interesting. Another person that played in the major leagues was Bill Zuber, and he came from the Amana Collins, and he also played for the major leagues. He pitched his entire career there with the Cleveland Indians, Washington Senators, New York Yan Yankees, and Boston Red Sox. He was born in Middle Amana, but retired to Homestead, and he started a hotel and a restaurant after he retired from being in the major leagues. But his family came in and told a little story about how he had no idea living in the Amana society, how to manage money. And when he got a paycheck, he had to ask somebody what to do with it because he didn't have a bank account or didn't know what to do with those funds. So that was quite interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Hey, I'm and, sorry to interrupt, uh, Patty and Dolores. Sure. It's time for our first break for a few minutes. All right, listeners, we'll be right back after these important messages. Please stay tuned.
Explore the history of Iowa County with the Iowa County Historical Society located in your own hometown and nestled in the heart of Marengo, Iowa. Bring your family, bring a friend, or just come on down to the Gritter Creek One Room School or Pioneer Heritage Museum located at 675 East South Street in Marengo, Iowa. You can tour the 1856 log cabin, the 1861 bachelor's log cabin, an 1890s rural farmhouse, the relocated Chicago Rock Island Railroad Depot, and a 1930s gas station, including a 1938 fire truck. For hours, admissions, membership and volunteer opportunities, please call 319-642-7018 or go to their website at iagenweb.org backslash Iowa backslash research backslash ICHS.htm. Plan a visit today. It's time for Preservation Oaks Book Shorts. Book Shorts is a segment of the program where we quickly introduce listeners to authors and books which satisfy your love of history and genealogy, help you with your own research, and finally help you improve the depth and wisdom of your unique family story. On this installment of Book Shorts, we're very glad to be joined by author Carol Baxter. Carol Baxter, the history detective, is a fellow of the Society of Australian Genealogists and an adjunct lecturer at the University of New England. She is the internationally acclaimed award-winning author of six historical true crime thrillers, including The Peculiar Case of the Electric Constable and The Fabulous Flying Mrs. Miller. She is the editor of many publications dealing with Australian colonial records, She's also the author of other genealogical how-to books, including Writing Interesting Family Histories, Help, Historical and Genealogical Truth, How Do I Separate Fact from Fiction, and Help, How Do I Find My Ancestor Surname. She's an international genealogical speaker giving seminars on researching and writing at genealogical conferences on land and on international cruise ships. Carol calls herself the history detective because that's what she does with historical true crime stories. She goes back to the original records and performs her own research independently of what others have done in the past. That allows her to reach her own conclusions, which she then includes in her true crime books. But we're not here today to discuss Carol's true crime books. On this segment of Book Shorts, we'll discuss Carol's two books, Writing and Publishing, Gripping Family Histories, and Writing Interesting Family Histories. These two books are companion volumes. The second publication builds on but doesn't repeat the information in the first. For me, these books are interesting for people like me who need guidance on making the writing and telling of their family stories more interesting. Please join me in welcoming Carol Baxter to discuss her very helpful and interesting books. Welcome to the program, Carol. Lovely to be speaking to you, Sean. Hey, you know, I love the concepts behind these books, and I believe family historians all across the country can benefit from reading them and applying the information shared in them. Can you give listeners an overview of your books, writing and publishing, gripping family histories, and writing interesting family histories? My journey to writing these books began when I became an author of mainstream narrative nonfiction. I'd actually been in the genealogy world for a couple of decades by then, giving lectures and seminars on research skills and on the project I was working for, a genealogical biographical project. And when my first mainstream book came out with a major publisher, 
people started getting interested in wanting me to talk about writing family histories. And then the second one came out and there were more invites. And I was in that sort of situation where the hosts were charging entrance fees and I was just getting the ubiquitous bottle of wine that I couldn't drink. And I had a conference coming up with 250 people in about five, six weeks after one of these situations. And I thought, blow it, I'm going to write a book. I'm an author, I'll write a book. So I did. So I wrote Writing Interesting Family Histories as the first one. And it was published at the conference and I sold out of the uh, 250 people, I sold 120 copies. So I was gobsmacked. And then I had to do a reprint on that. And then a few years later, after my sixth mainstream book came out, I had so many more ideas I needed to talk to people about. And I also wanted to talk about publishing, self-publishing in particular, because so many people were interested. And I had been through publishing in every type of publishing imaginable, except vanity publishing. So I decided to write a companion volume rather than expand on the first one because so many people had bought the first one. I decided to write the companion volume, Writing and Publishing Gripping Family Histories, because it included lots more information over and above the foundational information in the first one, but it also included the publishing information as well. Fantastic. Thank you. Where can people get a copy of your books? In Australia through my website, everywhere else in the world through Amazon.com. Okay. Is the best place to get a copy on your website, which is writingfabulousfamilyhistories.com? Yes, yes. Unfortunately, I made the mistake of spelling it the Australian way. So people need to put the U in the fabulous near the end. Yes, you can get it there. But the only problem is postage out of Australia is horrendously expensive. That's why it's better for anyone who's not in Australia to actually buy it through Amazon.com. Okay, fantastic. Now, I understand you also have a website and some free training for family historians in writing their family histories. Can you tell us about that? Well, that, funnily enough, came out of the same sort of situation that the writing did. I gave a Legacy Family Tree webinar on writing, and there were 15,000 views in a week. And people were saying to me, what you're telling us is so different to everyone else, which of course it is, because I'm a mainstream published author, whereas most people have only just done their family histories. So I eventually decided to build a website of online courses. So there's some information that's free, and there'll be some more information that's free coming up soon. And then the rest is subscription. So people then pay to do the courses, either individual courses or as an annual membership where they have access to all of the courses. And I've got another course going up this week and next week. I think that's great. That tied with the books is just fabulous. What do I get out of reading your books? You get a number of different strategies to write. Most family histories are what I call prose timelines. People have put all their ancestral information into a timeline and then literally convert that information into prose. They join buckets of different information into the same paragraphs. They have nothing in it that actually makes it appeal to the readers. And what I do is I give people different strategies right from the expository writing style, which is the simplest one through the descriptive writing style where you bring it to life a bit more with description through to the narrative writing style where basically you tell a story. My mainstream books are called narrative nonfiction. And in those books, I take a true story and I bring it to life 
not by fictionalising it, but by writing in such a way that I can draw on some of the tools of fiction without fictionalising. So no made-up dialogue, it all comes from the records, that sort of thing. So I teach the readers the skills that I actually practise when I write. The skills that get me international acclaim for my books. So the London Times wrote of one of my books that it was as lively and readable as a crime novel. So that's narrative non-fiction. That's just taking the facts that everyone else has and making it into an interesting story. Well, I think that's fabulous, fabulous information. I think it can help all the family historians out there. I'd like to thank you, Carol, for your time today and for your books. Thank you, Sean. It's been great speaking with you. Listeners, pick up a copy of these books and visit Carol's website with a free writing webinar. The website is www.writingfabulousfamilyhistories.com. These books can help you immediately to make your family history more interesting. Thank you, Carol Baxter, for being a guest on Book Shorts. Thank you, Sean. And now, back to Preservation Oaks. Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Radcliffe, and today we're here with Patty Henricks and Dolores Tibbon, directors of the Iowa County Historical Society located in Moringa, Iowa. Let's pick up where we left off. Patty, you were telling us about some famous people. Yes, I had just gotten talking about Bill Zuber, and when he retired, he really did have a famous restaurant in the Amana Colonies and with really good food, and it was Homestead Hotel. Also, another famous person was Rick Wanamaker, and he was a great athlete, and he was an American track and basketball athlete, very tall, and we actually have a life-size poster of him in the museum, and he's close to seven foot tall, isn't he, Dolores? Yes, he is. <laughs> so he is known principally for winning the decathlon in 1971 Pan Am Games. He was a gold medalist and national champion in decathlon and was born in Marengo and attended high school in Marengo. That was pretty exciting. And he lives uh, near Des Moines or a suburb of Des Moines today. Another famous person was um, Clarence Eugene Whitehill. He was born in Marengo, and he was a leading American bass baritone singer. He sang at the Metropolitan Opera from 1915 to 1932. And that is all of the notable people we're going to discuss today, I guess. There are others, of course. Of course. That is great. Hey, can you please provide the audience with an overview of the communities you serve, the variety of your membership, and the mission and objectives of your society? Well, the communities we serve, the towns in Iowa County are Marengo, the Amanas, Ladora, Conroy, Millersburg, Victor, and Williamsburg. But of course, we have many members outside of the county in Iowa and in other states. And we're always looking for new membership as well. 
And it's interesting how we do get people from all over the United States stopping in. And of course, our membership is a lot of older residents who take more of an interest in preserving history. But we also have middle age and some younger, and we keep encouraging to add new members all the time. Oh, that's great. Yes, and our our mission is established to educate and preserve history and to create and develop an interest in historical events, articles, and sites within the county and the state to and to find, collect, preserve, and exhibit those materials. So that is something we're constantly working on to try to make sure that we're putting out there what's pertinent. Being in Iowa, is the majority of the industry or business in your county related to agriculture? Yes, we have quite a few factories in the county. One major one is Kinsey Manufacturing. They are noted for their grain carts and planters and other equipment. They even have a facility in Ukraine. Oh, wow. Affected by the Ukrainian war, perhaps. Definitely, yes. I've talked to some of the workers there and that it has been stressful for them and trying to decide, are they going to be able to put their orders out or not? Yeah. So it's agriculture, it's industry. So it's not primarily agriculture. You guys are diversified. Farming is the major career for a lot of people who live in the area or it's farm related. But yes, it is diversifying more and more as we go on. Okay, very cool. So what's coming up on the horizon for the Historical Society? Where are you headed next? What are your goals? Well, one thing we're going to do for the first time this fall is a fall festival. And we had uh, really wanted to do something to demonstrate how like some of the equipment that we have displayed works. So the corn sheller, because children and even young adults, they have no idea how you might have shelled one ear of corn at a time. And so we're going to have rope making. We're going to have a bluegrass band. We're going to do homemade ice cream where it's churned and then served to people. We're going to show them how we make apple cider. And we have a large apple press that we're going to bring to the grounds and actually demonstrate that to people. That sounds exciting. When is that? That is September the 17th. We're going to uh, have this and it's, I hope, uh, one of many fall festivals that we get started with. Yeah, that's very cool. I know when I was a kid, we always used to, I forget, I think it was on Halloween, we always used to do dunking for apples. Yes, (laughs) we did too. (laughs) And just this past Friday, we had a tour of Model A cars come to our museum. There were 25 cars from not only Iowa, but Minnesota, Kansas, Illinois. Illinois, yes. So uh, we opened up the grounds and they parked their cars and people from the community, which I'm sure we had close to 100 people came to see their cars and see how well they were preserved and they were they were beautiful cars. Oh, that's great. That's Another great. interesting thing that we are involved in is 
the Iowa Valley Scenic Byway Audio Tour. It's a 77-mile Iowa Valley tour that takes you through agricultural land and rich cultural patchwork. There are 20 stops in Iowa County beside our Heritage Museum. A few of the stops in Marengo include the Iowa County Courthouse, the Iowa Valley Canning Company, the Mormon Trek Campsite at Gateway Memorial Park, Engineer Clifford Berry and the ABC Computer and Abolitionist John Brown, Marengo City Park. Ten sites in the Amanas. In Ladora, Nancy Drew, have you heard of Nancy Drew books? Yeah. The author lived in Ladora, Iowa, in Iowa County. The author, Mildred Burt Benson's childhood home. And also on this tour is in Victor is the Roly Boley Court and Mural. And at Costi, the beautiful historical cemetery. Nice. That's very nice. Thank you. Can you tell us a couple of funny or interesting stories from your society's history? Well, I know they were talking about one the other day, Art and Bertha Tibbon were spent a lot of hours there. And one of the other volunteers said that Art wanted to bring his recliner there so he could take naps because he spent so much time there. So that that was one of the things that I'd never heard before. Uh, another gentleman who was very active for years and years, and he just passed away this past year. His name was Gary Hendricks, who is a relative of Patty, and he was on the board, and he he was a really, really good um, horseshoe competitor. Every time you were in his presence, he always had a joke. I don't remember any of them, but they were always good. <laughs> he was just yes. a funny guy. Yes. Yeah, very good. It's good to go through yes. life like that. Mm-hmm. So what kinds of exhibits? I know we've talked about the cabins. You've got a couple cabins. You've got a a depot that was moved there. You've got a filling station, a a number of military uniforms, and you've got a two-floor museum and the one-room schoolhouse. Is there anything else you'd like to cover? There is, uh, and we are very proud of it, too. Um, We have built, uh, in the last year, uh, it's called the Heritage Barn because as usual, we were running out of room and we had a lot of farm equipment that was sitting outside and it was deteriorating. And so we decided we needed another building to store this in. So through grants and many generous donations from the community, we just finished that and got all our displays set up this spring before our grand opening of the museum. It has um, ice harvesting type of tools in there, which they did a lot, especially in the Amana colonies, and would deliver it to people throughout the community. In another area, we had one of the two last Model T's sold from uh, the Kane Motor Company in Victor was donated to us. A man bought two of them, a Mr. Wilson, he loved to drive his Model T, and when the one wore out, he'd drive the other one. Well, he never was able to drive the second one, and people have had it in their possession and decided to go ahead and donate it to us. So we uh, have that displayed in there, as well as a lot of different kinds of farm equipment. Another thing that has just been donated to us in the last couple years 
is the Meisel McBride Child's Playhouse. And this was built over 100 years ago because there was a carpenter in town who really wanted to display what his houses were going to look like ahead of time. And so he built this model in a smaller version. And there are still several houses in Marengo with this floor plane that are existing in the area. So I always thought that was so cool. Because back in the day, people used to have to do that, build small models of everything, stoves they were selling or houses yeah. they were going to build or whatever, they'd build a model. Yes. So th there was a man in uh, Mr. Meisel who decided he didn't want to see this tore down or just carted away. So he said, I want the historical society to have this. So the kids love going in there and playing in it. Oh, yeah. That'd be great. Another area that we have not covered is our resource library. In 1993, with a grant, the resource library was organized, and it remains a vital ongoing project. A volunteer retired librarian came aboard to oversee the project. Files are maintained of many family histories, anniversaries, photos, country schools, churches, businesses, and more, all connected to Iowa County. On microfilm are births, marriages, deaths, probate records, naturalization actions, and census as several of the county newspapers. We have received grants and received funds, and efforts are being now made in the process of putting all records on the internet. We have acquired a new program called Past Perfect, and it's going to take us some time to get everything on the internet. But that is our goal. Yay. Yes. And hopefully in time, you know, anyone from anywhere around the world, yes, can look up something. Recently, I had somebody contact me on Facebook from England. And they were looking for a tatted bedspread. And they thought it might be in our museum. And I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if I had this all on a computer and I could just bring this up? Instead, I had to look through every quilt. And it turned out it was not in our museum, but I figured out where it was. So it is something we're real excited about. And we hope we can come up with volunteers who will help us with entering all that information into it. You guys have any collections exhibited anywhere else, like at the local courthouse or airport or something like that? No, we've thought about that. We do have some collections that are on loan from people because we do a theme every year in the museum and bring out new items that haven't been displayed such as uh, this year was a sports theme. Next year, we're thinking that we will do something on Nancy Drew and also uh, wedding dresses. So I do have contacts with Mildred's family, and I'm hoping that we can come up with some interesting items to display. We have the whole set of her books on display in our library right now. Oh, that's So great. people can check them out if they want. I see, you know, them mentioned many times on Facebook and other places. Yeah. They were quite popular mysteries. I think I've read them all because I would <laughs> check a different you. one out every week when I was like 10 to 12 years old. Very cool. 
Yeah, they're great. An books. interesting item, you know, Mildred Benson was also a pilot. She flew an airplane. Very cool. Well, she got some of the uh, some of the inspiration for Nancy Drew, I'm sure, from that. <laughs> yes. Now a hard question. If your building were to catch fire, what things would you grab on your way out? Well, I would grab our new computer that does have quite a bit of information on it now. And maybe a, a few uh, uniforms that I know are very priceless. But otherwise, I don't know, Dolores, if you have other ideas of what you would take. It's just so overwhelming to think of what you could grab because there's just thousands of items that are, you know, very valuable. Yeah, absolutely. I hope they're well protected, too. Listeners, uh, let me give the contact information for the society. You'll find the Iowa County, Iowa Historical Society on Facebook. You can find them at their website on iagenweb.org backslash Iowa with a capital I backslash research backslash ICHS all capitalized dot htm. You can call them at 319 642 7018. You can email them at Iowa County Historical Society at Outlook.com. You can uh, send them mail to P.O. Box 288 in Marengo, Iowa, 52301. And if you want to visit the Pioneer Heritage Museum, it's at 675 East South Street, Marengo, Iowa, 52301. That all sound right? Yes, yes. it is. Thank you. What kind of funding model supports the society? What are your funding goals this year? Well, we're working on our budget right now and coming up with what our priorities are going to be for the coming year. I know we're getting large openings in our cabin, and so we're going to need to apply new chinking in between each one of those logs, and that's fairly expensive. Another thing is that we have some ash trees that are dying, and we're probably going to need to remove some of them as they could fall on our building. So those are probably some of the bigger items that we know, but we're always needing to get more donations in just to upgrade and keep things moving along. Yeah. So you get donations from the public. Do you have any charitable trusts that fund the organization? We have in the past had some larger donations that were put into a trust and uh, that are still there. Yes. And uh, most of our money comes from memberships, fundraising letters we send out every year. We do get a generous donation from the county government and some from the hotel motel tax. And then people who come through have been very generous this year with donations when they visit. Oh, that's great. What kind of fundraising activities does your society offer? Do you do online shopping or you know sell coins or books or buy a brick or things like that? We're not really involved in any of those. We do have a few books for sale, but minimal. Yes, we largely depend on donations from the public, our members, and they are very generous. I know we may have to look at some other options in the future, but right now that is what has kept us able to continue. Got Everyone that. that volunteers there is a volunteer. We're no paid staff. Right? Oh, that's good. You've got your fall festival coming up in September this year, right? That's right. Yep. And do you do that's any right. kind of 
a holiday or Christmas or Halloween kind of events? We usually don't have regular hours at the museum after September, but we do open it up for special tours and events, such as the school in Williamsburg comes with their children who are learning Iowa history. They dress in period costumes. They pack a lunch in a pail and they go to greater school first, and then they come to the museum. So they, they get a lot of history and education during that day. And when they're at Ritter School, beside having a regular classroom day, they also play games at recess, such as Annie Over, Hide and Go See, baseball, and other games. Rolly Bowley. So, <laughs> yes, we'll have to start Rolly Bowley this year. <laughs> well, that's great. You guys do any kind of work with the local theater groups or 4-H or future farmers? We did have the FFA group come this spring and they helped us do our cleanup of the grounds. And what they did in an hour or two would have taken us much longer. And so we're very grateful to them. Uh, The Boy Scouts have come before and helped do some special projects around the museum and the cabin area especially too. So we do have some nice uh, groups that come and help during the times when we really need it. Yeah, great. You guys publish a newsletter. I know that Dolores, I think it was, said you were the editor of the newsletter for 17 years. I was, and I have just stepped back from doing that for a couple of years now. Now another person has taken over that. Well, Patty's involved in that, in supplying articles for it. Yes. We try to do at least one or two educational articles for it, and then also include a lot of pictures and information about what is going on in the museum and how people can volunteer if they want to. That is important, and we need to keep bringing more volunteers in all the time. And we uh, have four issues a year. Right. Oh, that's great. In that newsletter, you use that newsletter to keep the community informed about the progress of the society in achieving its mission. You also use your Facebook page for that purpose? Yes. I just started the Facebook page a little over a year ago as another way to get Um, more interest and get the information out. And I'm surprised of the numbers, two to 3,000 people have visited our our Facebook site and and keep up with the information. So it's just another way to be able to get that information about events that we have going on or even needs that we have. Right. You mentioned that you have a research center Do you do research in genealogy at all? We have a limited amount of information and research that we do, but still can do some genealogy and have many copies of articles from papers from way back or pictures that people bring in. We have lots and lots of those as well. And so several of us are able to look up that information for people. And if we cannot find it, we recommend them to go to the local county courthouse. And also there's a genealogy society in another town that we can refer them to. Oh, great. 
What kinds of records or historical artifacts has the society received as donations from the public? It is overwhelming some of the times. And uh, oftentimes, of course, when somebody is cleaning out a home, like recently, we had a man in Victor who his uh, life was dedicated to watching over the railroad tracks that went through Victor and the depot. And so he recently died and his sister brought us like probably 10 to 15 scrapbooks and picture books of the trains that went through the depot and and that whole area. So there has been a variety of things donated such as that. I know you said you have thousands, maybe a million artifacts that you've got to then enter into past perfect. Do you have a strategy for digitization of documents and photos? Past perfect has the program to do all of that. I have taken the class, but I've not become too active in it as yet. Uh, our main, we have a main gal who knows what she's doing. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd like to find some volunteers who enjoy putting that kind of information into the computer because we have it now on little three by five index cards or in file folders and to be able to put those all into the program, a past perfect would be wonderful. So I'm hoping to find maybe high school or college age people who love computers to who would like to volunteer to do that. Oh, that's great. What kinds of volunteer opportunities beyond, so you need somebody to chink the cabins, you need some ash trees removed, and you need people to enter things in the past perfect. What other volunteer opportunities do you have if people want to volunteer? Well, one would be to work in our research library and spend time there getting familiar and then helping people with that. And then when we're open to the public, we have what are called hosts that give guided tours if people want answer questions. And we like to have at least two to three people there on the grounds during that time. And then maintenance and upkeep. <laughs> and that is huge uh, with all of the different areas that we have. I know I go in the spring out to Gritter School and do a good spring cleaning of it, but I would love to find some other volunteers to do even more thorough cleaning. So those are some of the things. Can you think of anything else, Dolores? That I think you've covered it real well, <laughs> Addie. Thank you. Oh, that's great. Okay, so there's something to do if people want to volunteer. Absolutely. We probably have 20 to 50 that do some kind of volunteering. It may be only once a year, but we do have quite a few people within the communities that can come and do things around there, or they'll help with getting displays ready in the spring before we open up. Cool. But there are, are quite a few key people, maybe 10 to 15 that are really reliable. There <laughs> a lot that do the the majority. Oh, yeah. Time to take all those people out for lunch or dinner. Yes. <laughs> so how does the society interface with other regional societies, state, county societies? I know you mentioned there's a genealogical society in the area. How do you interface with those folks? Well, this spring, our president went out to 
uh, the North English and also Amana areas and talk to them about the historical society and what we could do together in a partnership. Uh, North English does every month a large program where they have paid speakers come in and talk about history. And also in the Amanas, we've talked a lot about getting our brochures there as they're a major tourist area. Uh, they do send people our way sometimes as well. We belong to the Iowa Historical Society, and they are talking about how they want a lot of their members to do virtual tours because people may not be able to ever get to your museum. They'd like to see that posted on their sites. So that is something we're looking at doing as well. So you're doing a lot. That's really great to hear. What kinds of interesting books has your society published or books that you have for sale? Well, we do not have a lot of books for sale. We do. I know there's one on Iowa County one-room schools, and it has pictures of uh, the schools and a lot of the students that went to the schools there, and that's for sale. And then we have the history of Iowa County, 1881. That is for sale for $30. And then we have the history of Iowa County, Iowa and its people, volume one and volume two from 1915. And that is for sale. We have some local centennial books from different towns for sale. Some coins, yes, postcards, plates of different churches or buildings. Right. So that that's majority of what we have for sale. Oh, great. And do you have this in like a gift shop at the Pioneer Village? Well, it's in showcases, glass showcases. Okay. Yes. As you enter the main museum, we have brochures and plus all these types of items that people can purchase if they so desire. Everything you've discussed is a lot going on, a lot of value to the community, and I'm sure our listeners want to donate to the society. What's the easiest method for members of the public to donate? Right now, the the best way is to uh, send a check through the mail. We don't have any type of electronic payment methods such as PayPal set up yet. Okay, great. And anyone with an interest in historical preservation or research may become a member and enjoy the benefits of the Iowa County Historical Society membership. That's fantastic. Thank you. I want to give the contact information so people know where to send that check. You'll find the Iowa County Iowa Historical Society on Facebook. You can find them at their website on iagenweb.org backslash Iowa with a capital I backslash research, backslash ICHS, all capitalized, dot htm. You can call them at 319-642-7018. You can email them at Iowa County Historical Society at outlook.com. You can uh, send them mail to P.O. Box 288 in Marengo, Iowa, 52301. And if you want to visit the Pioneer Heritage Museum, it's at 675 East South Street, Marengo, Iowa, 52301. Can you tell the audience about any current initiatives or needs of the society that you want people of your area to know about and support? 
I believe volunteers are probably our biggest need right now. We have a lot of ideas of things we would like to do around the historical society. And uh, it just seems like we don't have enough people to do that. I agree, Patty. (laughs) Yes. I think you covered it well. Yes, yes, because we do have several newer members who have come up with some very good ideas. And like our current president, Ed Deneve, said, first time I walked in here, I said, this is such a gem, but it's an unknown gem in our community. What are we going to do to try to get the word out about how important it is for people to come and visit? Yeah. So that's one thing we're working on as well. Okay. And the next question is sort of along those lines. What are your thoughts about how best to keep history and community support flourishing for the current generation? I know it was uh, something that we thought long and hard about doing this podcast, but I have talked to several younger people who have listened to historical podcasts. And so I think that is a mode of getting uh, them interested and maybe even having a visit to one of our sites. And then looking at what is pertinent, what would be something that would draw somebody from, say, my children's age group in their 30s to come and look at these types of things. Maybe we need to change some of our displays. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's always tough appealing to everybody, right? Yes. Patty and Dolores, it's time for us to take our second break for a few minutes. All right, listeners, stay tuned. We'll be right back after these important words. This program will now pause for universal identification. Where can you experience hundreds of years in a single day? At the Iowa County Historical Society, the Gritter Creek One Room School, and Pioneer Heritage Museum in Marengo, Iowa. You'll find something for everyone at the Iowa County Historical Society. For hours, admissions, membership, and volunteer opportunities, please call 319-642-7018 or go to their website at iagenweb.org backslash iowa backslash research backslash ichs.htm. This is your historical society, so plan a visit today. You're listening to Preservation Oaks with Sean Thomas Radcliffe, the program where there's always something new. The best thing about Preservation Oaks is that you get history instantly, right when you want it. Listeners learn how they can experience unlimited fun and knowledge at their local museums, cultural and heritage institutions, historical and genealogical societies across the United States. All that for a single low-cost annual membership. Now that's high value. If you're not already a member or a volunteer, then be sure to get it done today. 
On Preservation Oaks, we understand that every museum, cultural and heritage institution, historical and genealogical society has a story to tell, and our mission is to help share that story and the value of your organization. When you appear as a guest on Preservation Oaks, you unlock and share your story with worldwide listeners. If you're interested in being a guest on the program, send an email to preservationoaks at gmail.com. We're proud to help tell your stories, one valued organization at a time. This is Stacy Gosling, the president of the Winnesha County Historical Society, and I love listening to Sean Thomas Radcliffe on MicroStream Radio. This is Emily Thaves, executive director of the Beltrami County, Minnesota Historical Society, and I love listening to Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. This is Brian Stuckey from the Mennonite Heritage and Agricultural Museum located in Gossel, Kansas. I had a lot of fun as a guest on Preservation Oaks. Take a minute. See what's in it. When you're buying a vitamin product, read the label. Make sure you get all the vitamins recommended by government experts. You do in VIMS and three essential minerals also. Get VIMS at your druggist. VI for vitamins, double MS for minerals. VIMS. Nine out of ten listeners agree. Preservation Oaks is the best podcast on the internet. This is Catherine McGuire. I'm a friend of Sean Thomas's. We often discuss how difficult it is for some societies to complete research requests. Regardless of where you're from, or which historical or genealogical society you're working with on family research, proper etiquette is important. You don't want to appear to have been raised by wolves. It's a good idea to know some essential skills when working with these valuable societies. Using proper etiquette will help you support the organization performing the sometimes grueling work to find information for you. Here's a few essential skills for you to know. Number one, if you're communicating with a historical or genealogical society and asking for their help in finding information about family members, pay close attention to their policies and take cues from them. Number two, many genealogical and historical societies do not have all their paper and photographic records digitized and online. Therefore, things are not fast and easy for them, unless they get lucky. Many times, the society relies on the skill and knowledge of volunteers. They often comb through filing cabinets, books, directories and newspapers to find information you're seeking and information that will be valuable to you. This can take hours, days, and sometimes weeks, depending on what you're requesting. Be aware of this effort. It is often invisible to you but quite real. Number 3, regardless of the official policies, which are generally very low cost. Whenever you make a request to a society please donate liberally to help cover the cost of the time it takes to complete the research, make copies, mail information to you, and so on. Number 4. If the society finds information that helps you, and from that, you know your family lived in the area, then good etiquette is to join and become a member, and then to donate regularly. You can always use Amazon Smile. Doing this causes automatic donations to flow to the society as you shop. As a member, you often receive discounts both on the books you may need, as well as additional research from the society. If you live in the area, it's a good idea to volunteer. That way, you can get to know the records and the history of the area. Having this knowledge will greatly improve the outcomes of your research. Number 5, whether the research is fruitful or not, always send a thank you note or card in the mail, and don't wait more than a day or two after research concludes. Address the society, 
and thank them for the work they did and the information they sent, or just for trying hard to find something of value for you. Then add another short, positive comment to show your appreciation. Your note may be brief but heartfelt. It's easy to have good manners. These basic rules are just common sense. Ta-ta for now my friends. If you're a historical or genealogical society listening to Preservation Oaks, and you'd like to be a guest on the program, please email preservationoaks at gmail.com. And now, back to Preservation Oaks. Welcome back. You're listening to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Radcliffe, and today we're here with Patty Hendricks and Dolores Tibbon, directors of the Iowa County Historical Society located in Marengo, Iowa. We're having fun learning about this great organization, and I really appreciate the information you've provided to our audience about your society. You both ready for more? Sure. <laughs> All right, let's pick up where we left off. Why is the society important to the community and what makes your society different or unique from others? Our society, I believe, is very important to our community because the people of our community have entrusted the historical society to preserve their heritage. So it might be their great-grandfathers. We just had somebody coming in and looking for a Bible that was part of their family's history and her great-grandfathers. And we had that Bible there, and she was able to take that out and look at it. I think it was several generations ago that had donated it. So all in German. Yes, the Bible is all in German, too, and a beautiful one. Mm -hmm. So, um, and we just had our local news station from Cedar Rapids come to Marengo to do our town, it's called, and they came to the Historical Society. They felt that it was an important part of our community, and they displayed what was there on this little story that they did. So uh, I think it is very important and, and unique just to our community. Yeah, and I, I can tell you one thing that I've learned in that you're unique because you are the experts on Iowa County. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we do not charge anything for visiting any of our sites. And I know that's unusual. That's a, a goal we've tried to keep. I don't know if we'll always be able to do that. But I know that there, if a whole family comes with maybe six people, they might feel like it was overwhelming if they had to pay. So there's nothing to prevent them from coming. But people are quite generous in their donations when they come through the door. Yeah, that's great. You've got community support. So if I want to join the society, what's the benefit to me to becoming a member? Well, you will uh, receive in the mail or by email. We just started to uh, a newsletter four times a year with information about what we're doing, upcoming events, and uh, articles that are noteworthy for our community. 
and also a yearbook, which will tell you what programs are expected to happen this year and the membership list and the officers and directors. Oh, that's great. Fantastic. Do you have like an annual dinner for members or something like that going? We have an annual meeting for members, and that's going to be held during our fall festival this year. So we're hoping that we get um, a very good attendance at that and have we'll have food, uh, drinks, and a band for entertainment as well. So oh, that is great. something new we're going to try this year. Uh, at the annual meeting, we have election of officers and directors as we need to by the bylaws. Okay, fantastic. You have a Facebook page and a website and a phone number and an email and a mailing address, all of the good things. But what's the best way for people to connect with someone in the society if they have questions? By all of those ways that you just mentioned, or they can just call and we have an answering machine. They can leave us a message and we'll get back to them as soon as possible. People in the community know that we're associated with that. So next week, like Dolores and I are going to go to a local church and give a historic preservation type of uh, talk to them. And uh, so we do get requests like that quite often. Oh, fantastic. We are feeling that we're getting very at capacity, I guess you would say. And so we're looking at... First of all, where we display this, is it appropriate for us? And do we have room for it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's always a problem, huh? It, it is. It's always a challenge. It is a problem. Yeah. You know, people come to us with these items that they feel we would just love to have, and we would love to have them. But, you know, if we already have one of them, we have to tell them, no, I'm sorry, we just don't have room. We already have one of those on display. And if it is something we don't have, we do have a committee that will look them over and decide if it's something we really would like to to put on display. Oh, cool. I see a new building in your future. (laughs) (laughs) But we're out of room. We need to move. (laughs) You're going to have to expand across the street or something with the Pioneer Heritage. Or a third floor. (laughs) Yeah, or a third floor. Reflecting just a bit, how do you think your members, the volunteers, the public, the community view you and the society in terms of benefit and value? I do think that we get a good membership and donations because of how they value us. And I know every small town in our county has some kind of historical group that meets And so it's very important to them, but they also look to us, the Iowa County Historical Society, to bring things together. And so I think, yeah, we're we're the gel that kind of brings all of the organizations in our community together. Very well said, Patty. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you, Patty and Dolores, for spending time with us today on Preservation Oaks. I've learned a lot, had a great time. I'm really happy to meet you and to learn about what you're doing in the community and how valuable the historical society is to the county. It's been exciting to learn how much you and your society do to help the community and your members. So thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thank you.
And with that, we'll end our time with our guests, Patty Henricks and Dolores Tibben, directors of the Iowa County Historical Society, located in Marengo, Iowa. Listeners, please stay tuned for my comments and wrap-up, which is coming up next. My goodness, folks, you know, it never ceases to amaze me how the good Lord ensures that the right people are in the right roles to continue the work of preserving our heritage and educating the current generations about it. I was very honored to meet Dolores Tibben and Patty Henricks. I think you'll all agree that these intelligent and dedicated individuals are the right people for the job, and we all learn so much. What a great historical society you all have in Iowa County. So much history, so much community support and so much awareness of what the needs of the society are. The most pressing priorities of the Iowa County Historical Society at this time are, they need to have their pioneer cabins re-chinked. This has to be done in a specific way to preserve the cabins properly. So they are looking for donations for this. They need to get it done before those cabins deteriorate further due to the weather. They need more volunteers. Please folks, call and sign up today to support them. This is your historical society, so please help. They need people to work in the research library, maintaining the grounds in all kinds of ways. They need handymen and handywomen, carpenters, electricians, arborists, and tradespeople of all kinds. They also need people persons, people persons who enjoy helping visitors and conducting tours. They're also in need of some computer technical support. They need to have some ash trees removed from the property. The trees have a disease, and they're trying to prevent them from falling on the society buildings. They're going to need more space for storing historical artifacts. No doubt this will be a large effort to get it done for the community because they have to grow outside of the space, the land space that they have currently. They need people who can enter information about all the thousands of artifacts into the past perfect software. In addition to collection management, the software will also help to get all paper and photographic artifacts digitized and put on the internet. Iowa County is very unique. You have Mildred Benson, the author of the Nancy Drew books. She resided in the county. Patty and Dolores spoke about several other celebrities who have their roots in Iowa County. You have the seven settlements of the Amana colonies in the county. This is where all the Amana appliances are built, but the really special part is the heritage of the colonies and the tourists that come to visit them. You have the Pioneer Heritage Museum and Resource Library with so many fantastic artifacts that are so well cared for, unique, and valuable. Many can't be reproduced today at all. The Iowa County Historical Society is doing something new this September that residents need to be aware of and support. The festival is on September 17th, and it's called the Fall Festival. There'll be lots of exhibits, music, food, and lots of fun for all ages. This is the first one. The Historical Society is hoping this becomes an annual tradition for the community. This quote from Patty, It's important for listeners to know that we don't charge anything for visiting the Pioneer Heritage Museum or the Gritter One Room Schoolhouse. Another quote, 
Our society is very important to our community because the people of our community have entrusted the historical society to preserve their heritage. There are so many exciting things going on at your Iowa County Historical Society. It's amazing that they can keep it all coordinated. The society is supported by memberships, donations, and volunteers, and they really love their volunteers. Please help support the Iowa County Historical Society. Patty and Dolores reviewed the funding and fundraising particulars of the society so you know where the funds are going, what the current needs are, and what the priorities are. By listening to the program, you can clearly see how hard Patty, Dolores, and the rest of the volunteers at the society work. They're busy all the time working on the behalf of the community. The contact information for the society, you can reach them on Facebook at Iowa County, Iowa Historical Society. You can find them on the web at iagenweb.org backslash Iowa backslash research backslash ichs.htm. You can call them at 319-642-7018. You can email them at Iowa County Historical Society at Outlook.com. Their mailing address is P.O. Box 288, Marengo, Iowa, 52301. And the address of the Pioneer Heritage Museum is 675 East South Street, Moringa, Iowa, 52301. There were a thousand questions I could have asked during our time together, but I didn't in the interest of time. If questions occur to you and you'd like more information, please connect with the Society via the contact information provided. If you're a listener in the area the Society serves, or if you're a listener researching ancestors in the community the Society serves, and you're not already a member, please consider joining and supporting. I hope this information helps the audience understand how valuable the Society is to the community and what kinds of excellent services they have to offer to their members and the public. The Iowa County Historical Society is truly one of our preservation oaks. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. Music used today is from Track Tribe, John Bateman, Scott Holmes, and Cymbalbird. MicroStream Radio is a registered trademark. You can visit us at microstreamradio.com. This broadcast is owned and copyrighted by MicroStream Radio. It cannot be rebroadcast, downloaded, copied, or used anywhere without the written permission of MicroStream Radio. Thanks to everyone for listening. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. See you all next time on Preservation Oaks. Thank you.